Do we see at Groundswell this year, the 26th and 27th of June, close to London, UK? Many friends of the podcast will be there. John Kempf, Abby Rose, Benedict Berzo, Henry Dimbleby, Claire Hill, Russ Carrington, Andy Cato, Tim Coates, and many, many more. See you there. A conversation about scale and business and the key role of decentralized processing in regenerative agriculture. Our guest has launched an investment firm, first investing their own capital into accelerating regenerative farming. If the food grown with regenerative practices doesn't taste amazing, and if it doesn't make more money, we will never reach the impact we need. Welcome to another episode of Investing in Regenerative Agriculture, Investing as if the Planet Mattered, a podcast show where I talk to the pioneers in the regenerative food and agriculture space to learn more on how to put our money to work to regenerate soil, people, local communities and ecosystems while making an appropriate and fair return. Why my focus on soil and regeneration? Because so many of the pressing issues we face today have their roots in how we treat our land, grow our food and what we eat. And it's time that we as investors, big and small and consumers, start paying much more attention to the dirt slash soil underneath our feet. In March last year, we launched our membership community to make it easy for fans to support our work. And so many of you have joined as a member. We've launched different types of benefits, exclusive content, Q&A webinars with former guests, Ask Me Anything sessions, plus so much more to come in the future. For more information on the different tiers, benefits, and how to become a member, check gumroad.com slash egg or find the link below. Thank you. Welcome to another episode. Today with Ed Byrne of Soil Works Natural Capital. is a public benefit company on a mission to accelerate the regenerative food movement by helping to launch scalable, repeatable businesses that fuel the regenerative economy. Welcome, Ed. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. To start with a personal question, why soil? What does an Irish man end up in Texas working on regenerative agriculture? Well, it's a good question. I think, I don't know how far back you want me to go, but we, uh, when we, you know, my business partner, Lou, and I started looking, we both have a passion for farming. I can talk about that if you like, but when we started looking at it and getting a bit more interested in, should we do something here? You know, why is why is food quality getting worse, uh, even real food quality getting worse? And, you know, why are westernized economies as they get more money? Why does the health go down and obesity go up and diabetes go up? And as we've kind of dug into the space, you realize, you know, it's actually it's Michael Pollan's great line. It's not why you eat. It's what you eat ate. And you dig a little bit deeper in there. And I'm sure you've done this yourself. And you realize, oh, well, it's not just the quality of what they eat. It's how it's grown. And ultimately, it all boils back to the soil. Right? If the soil is no good, the crops, the grains, the grass are not going to be any good. And it's logical when you think of it. It's just, you know, I probably had never gone quite there before. And when you realize, okay, it's all about the soil. And then, you know, you dig a little deeper and realize, oh, well, that UN stat of uh, we have 65 harvests left. Obviously, that's a big number to throw out there and not true in every part of the world. But but it is quite scary how, how much topsoil we're eroding and how our practices are just making it worse and worse. And then when you dig in a little more and realize, oh, there's there's this regenerative agriculture thing. It's easier on the land. It's got less inputs for the farmers, so it should be a more profitable business. And it restores soil, takes carbon from the atmosphere and makes higher nutrient quality or nutrient dense food. And it's not mainstream. So kind of, you know, as you dig and dig and dig in, you realize they say, this is a real opportunity and need. And is there something we can do here? And we looked around and talked to some farmers and we believe there is. And it's great that there's more and more people doing it. And hopefully we can be a little bit of help. And the analysis of the broken food system and obviously the potential of regenerative agriculture, many would share, but you didn't stop there. You went into action mode, but let's ask a question first. Do you still 
Was there one moment you suddenly saw the potential or was it more a gradual process? Yeah, I'd love to say there was a light bulb moment, <laughs> but I think I've always, you know, I, I'm from Ireland, obviously, and I, I spent all my summers and holidays on family farms and, and my business partner, Lou, has a ranch here. And so, you know, we started, I always had a, an idea that at some point I'd run a farm, even if it was a hobby project or something in my retirement. And, you know, the more I started looking into it and Dan Barber's book, The Third Plate, is just fascinating as a someone who likes food, forget farming, it's fascinating. And you look at, you know, I love the approach he takes, which is all about the, the quality and taste for consumers. And I actually, we can talk about that later, but I think that's really important. And I think that's what will drive this movement to a degree. And then Michael Pollan's book, The Omnivore's Dilemma, introduced me to Joel Salatin. I read Joel Salatin and then Gabe Brown. And so I do think it was a gradual progression from an interest to a hobby to a, maybe there's a business here to a, oh, there's a whole ecosystem. And, you know, and even now I'm kind of semi-nervous going on a podcast because the more you dig, every time you look at one article, there's 10 more links and 10 more people and 10 more funds and 10 more companies. And so this space, for better or for worse, is much deeper than I thought, which is, you know, that's obviously better, but worse that so few people know about it. And there is, you know, it is such an active micro community, but it's not, I mean, mainstream, it's not even close. I don't even know that it's on that path yet. And I think that's where we need to work on. And because maybe many would have stopped there, started their own farm, maybe bring forward their retirement a bit and would do that and would stop at that and obviously maybe advocate for things, etc. But you decided to take a different approach, bringing a lot of your knowledge that you have in other spaces, mostly technology, to this space. Can you describe a bit that decision? Like you saw the opportunity and then didn't decide to create your own piece of paradise, but actually said, okay, this is something I want to work in and spend a lot of my awake hours. Yeah, that, there probably was a semi-light bulb moment on that front when, you know, obviously I'd love to have a farm and I'm sure I will at some point, but we talked to a lot of farmers and they all said to us, you know, we need guys like you. We need business people in this space. We're great at making food. And I think, you know, farmers all go to farmers markets and sell direct. And I'm not sure that's necessarily what they all love to do. I think it's, you know, chefs are great at making food, but are they all great at running restaurants? And I think farmers, independent farmers have to do that. But I, I don't know if that's what they choose to do if there was a better route to market. And we just heard this. It's, you know, we need business people. And so when we look at the whole ecosystem, it's not just, I mean, there are lots of small farmers and there are more and more people moving to regenerative. And so... Me doing that will be a great hobby, and hopefully I'll do it and I'll love it, but I'm a business person first, and I do see the opportunity, and I'm passionate about it, and I think, I'd like to think that Lou and I can bring what we've done in ScaleWorks in the last five or six years and in our business careers, we can have an impact here, and, and look, we're business junkies, we love business, and if we can bring our love of business uh, to a space where there's a real mission and we can ha see a real impact of regenerative agriculture succeeding, then we should. And can you describe a bit, what is ScaleWorks? So we said ScaleWorks up, I mean, you can probably guess where the SoilWorks name came from, um, very original. So we said ScaleWorks up six years ago because in the software space, we saw that there was a lot of great product companies being built, being built by engineers and funded by VCs. And they had great products, but not great routes to market, not great scalable leadership teams, scalable sales and marketing. And I think a lot of times founders, you know, especially engineer founders, they love building and that's great. They love building. And then they get to a point and it's a rare founder who's good at building and scaling. And so in ScaleWorks, we acquire, you know, as close to 100% of a company as we can, always a majority or almost always a majority and uh, bring in a new leadership team, grow the team, focus on a scalable sales and marketing strategy. And so we've bought, God, I don't know, eight or 10 companies in the last five years. And thankfully it's gone well. And you were planning and are planning and are actually doing that partly with the acquisition of PastureMap, uh, that approach to regenerative agriculture. Yeah, I don't know that that was our day one plan, but it worked out pretty well. It's a good bridge from, from the software world to the 
regenerative agriculture world by acquiring a software company. So we know the software space well. Lou was actually a user of PastureMap and he connected with the original founders. And we realized, look, this is it's a really small business, but we think PastureMap is a big opportunity, not just in, you know, I mean, obviously rotational grazing and pasture management is a huge part of regenerative agriculture, but I feel like that's the kind of the entryway and, and you know, having, you know, acres that we help farmers manage Hopefully, there's a lot more we can do over time as we work with those farmers. And it got look, we know how to do software. We were quickly able to build a software team around it, and hopefully, we can you know build out the platform. But hopefully, it's a that's the entryway for us to connect with farmers and figure out how we can do more on soil, more on carbon, and you know generally you know build out our our network and learnings there. And because you acquired the full company of PastureMap and have changed the team as they were moving on, and otherwise, I think PastureMap would have closed, and you were interested that that didn't happen so what are you changing with them or what's the next phase in this case for a software company that you've bought completely uh well yeah we bought it completely i hope it wouldn't have closed um i don't know but it, it was like it wasn't it wasn't a massively loss making business it's a small business but it had a you know tiny team um so the founders have moved on there was only i think really one other employee and uh she stayed with us and she's great and doing a phenomenal job and hopefully having lots of fun. So we've added four people to five people to the team since we bought it. And look, step one is, you know, the low hanging fruit. Talk to our customers. What's the, what's the stuff you're frustrated with? And that list is always long. And so we don't need to be business geniuses to uh, to pick up the low hanging fruit and, and fix the problems that people tell us they've, they've had or they have. Um, and then, look, you know, it, it's, it's a privilege to have those conversations. And outside of hearing the kind of immediate things they have is ask what they're doing on their farm. What else can we do to help? And then, you know, uh, ask what, what are, you, know, you can see the ideas. Would you like us to do more on, on cover cropping? You know, can we help you manage that? Would you like to do more on soil metering? Do you have soil meters? Would you like to input your data in there? Uh, you know, can we figure out uh, how much carbon is being re removed into the soil and sell carbon credits? I think there's, there's, look, there's lots to do in the short term, which is just kind of stick to your knitting and, and make, make what we do really solid, better and grow it you know and, and pasture map gets a, a ton of signups all the time which is great so it's our job to make sure that we work with all those all those customers or potential customers and, and do a good job getting them on board and getting their pastures set up and then go from there and look the community already knows way way more than we do so it's our job to kind of listen and then prioritize you know the things you hear lots of times that we can actually do so how would you describe soil works then as an entity or as a concept how would you describe it I guess it's a, look. It's a it's a it's an investment entity or company. Um, our look. Our mission is is to accelerate the transition to regenerative agriculture, and so we'll within reason anything we can add value in, um, we'll do. I, I I think there's you know there's lots of there's lots of funds and big funds emerging in this space, or or at least big funds who are now adding agriculture and regenerative agriculture to their to their thesis. Um, so I hope we're not you know. We're not just a, a investor of money, um, but if we can add value by acquiring a company like PastureMap and bringing our, our you know our expertise at running businesses to it, if we can start a company, I think we'll I, I think we'll start one or two in the next year. Um, with someone in progress already, um, and if we can invest in some companies where you know we can bring a business community together and hopefully accelerate them, and I think you know the, the power of bringing a small network together could be great. So we'll I think SolarWorks SolarWorks is our kind of vehicle to to do that, and um, hopefully we'll. Build a little bit of a, of a brand and that'll attract, you know, smart people and we can, you know, start having good conversations. And so far it's been funded by you and your business partner. Are there any plans to 
take on outside capital and to put other people's capital to work as well. <laughs> I should probably have some disclaimers. We're not actually raising a fund now, but if we were, I guess we'd have to do that. So yeah, I think we will. I think we will. I mean, our capital is not limitless, obviously. Um, you know, I my gut right now is that we'll be, like Scaleworks, we'll always stay kind of boutique size where we, we can actually have an impact. But you never know. I mean, this space, I think, especially as as farmers have to figure out how to how to migrate and transition, that could take a lot of money. So if if the funds if the if, if the other funds exist, great. I don't think you know we don't compete with anyone on just dollars in the bank. But yes, I think at some point we'll have to raise money and we'll figure out will it be a fund or will it be a you know a company. And I don't know the answer to that yet, but I think we'll do something. Yeah, and I like to ask this prioritization question, which I always just explain a bit. Using the ITN framework, which is important, tractability and neglectedness, which I always struggle with, you definitely inspired by the effective altruism community that uses it a lot. I will put a link in the show notes below if you want to know more, but it really looks at importance, like what is the scale of the problem, tractability, how solvable is it, and how many other people are working on it, in a sense, like how much of a difference can you make? If you had to describe your approach to investing in, and obviously being an entrepreneur in regenerative agriculture and food, how would you rank it that? Like, how would you basically, why did you choose this approach if you would look at those, those parts? Do you want to learn how to invest or are you an entrepreneur and want to build companies in the regenerative food and agriculture space? Or do you work in big ag and big food and want to really move the needle? We have developed a new video course for you. Find out more on investinginregenerativeagriculture.com course or in the show notes description below. Um, you know, it's funny when you think about importance, go back to the macros, there, there's no more important space. I mean, regenerative agriculture helps our climate and our food system. And is there any two bigger problems we have right now than world health and nutrition, obviously being such a big precursor to that and environmental change. And you're approaching that in terms of bringing that business mind and the scalability or the repeatability as well to the region X space where we are now. Will that solve a lot of the issues that we are all having in terms of that still it's a super tiny sector and we're sort of fighting for attention everywhere. Well, I look, I actually think one of the, I wouldn't say issues, but one of the er neglected areas so far within the space is that the community is, you know, talks a lot about and is getting better and better at the practices of regenerative agriculture. But I'm a believer that supply follows demand. And right now I think demand for regenerative produce is, you know, it might not be zero, um, but it's pretty low because consumers don't know what it is. And if you look at, you know, consumer awareness. I mean, the big trend change is consumer awareness of the importance of nutrition and high quality food is growing and growing, right? Um, and, you know, you look at just the growth of organic and as we all know, organic isn't necessarily great for the environment or, or you know, it might be better than the opposite method, but, uh, but still not perfect. And so it's a good start. It's a start. Yeah, I think. And in terms of consumer awareness, everybody knows organic. They've done a really good job. We've all done a good job in that. And I think I think if we could get regenerative produce or whatever it becomes called to that level of awareness, then su supply will follow demand. More and more farmers will do it. More and more farmers will migrate. And so... Okay. So what are your plans there? Because you mentioned <laughs> we're going to start one or two companies. I'm guessing now that they're going to be in, in the food space. I don't know. Uh, I have some. I'm not going to share yet. I'll, next next podcast. Um, but I don't want to jinx us. So I don't know, maybe we'll support companies in the consumer space. I mean, have you seen some in like the food as medicine, the nutrient density, because it's such a complex story. I see a lot of opportunity there. I absolutely believe that the key to getting consumer demand is going to be nutrient density, healthcare, etc. I haven't seen too many examples yet. Definitely reach out anybody listening that has them. 
but that like food companies that are built around healthy soils, just very simply. Have you seen some little examples yet? Like, are we getting there? No, I wish we were. I think this is just such a small space. I mean, look, the farmer's market's an example. Of course. But there, so there you don't know, unless you have the bionutrient meter of Dan Gittrich, which isn't ready yet because there's no database around. You cannot really see, okay, which tomato has been grown in healthy soils. Exactly. And so, you know, and you can go online to your local farmer, but look, the average consumer, even the average educated consumer about, about the importance of nutrition is not going to do that. And it's just, yeah. it's not, it's not easy get, you know, regenerative produce. And then you got to ask the question is, I mean, Again, within the regenerative space, is regenerative produce, is that what consumers want? I mean, will the consumer care that you're regenerating your land? I mean, it's great for the environment and the macro view of, you know, this food is is good for, you know, it helps someone restore their soil, but is it good for me? I mean, this, did this come from good soil or star, soil that was just started regenerating a month ago? And so I don't know the answers to those, but I think until those questions are asked and we start, once we start getting regenerative produce in front of consumers, just like in the software world, they will tell us what works and what doesn't. And we can adapt on the fly. But, you know, when you when you talk, when I talk to a friend or colleague or family member about regenerative agriculture, they just they gloss over it. Just have no idea what that is. Um, and, you know, the, the exciting part is when you explain it, everyone is fascinated by it. And then they start kind of their own cognitive bias of, oh, I saw, I recognize this. Is this, you know, was there a conference about this? Is this person speaking about it? But then someone says, you know, where, where can I get this food? And there's no answer to that yet. And so, or there's no good answer to it. Was- so how would you approach that? I mean, you are now in Soilworks, obviously, but as nutrient density is so key and it's such a horrible word, what would be the steps there to fastly iterate minimal viable product, like bringing the software spirit and work ethics and approach to that? How would that look like if we applied it to nutrient density? Well, look, I kind of think of it as a, as a, like a pyramid of sorts. I think the top of the pyramid is taste. Um, I think that, you know, you, you know, people, people, like, people don't want to have medicine, you know, medicine tastes horrible because if it tasted good, you wouldn't believe it would make you any better. And so I think number one is taste, you know, it has to taste. And by the way, real food should taste great. It should taste the best. This is why I think Dan Barber is such a good, you know, uh, steward of this community because he goes straight to, I'm going to make the best food for consumers. And, and so it can, so regenerative produce should be the most tasty food. It should also be the most nutrient dense. And so as a, you know, buyer for my family, not just a kind of restaurant goer, you look and say, well, if I'm, if I'm in the store, I want something that's really nutrient dense and that the kids are going to like. And, and then I think the third part is, oh, this was carbon negative. Awesome. I feel great about this. I mean, I'm, I'm eating meat which, you know, the world has been telling me is bad for me, but actually is really good for me. It's super nutrient dense. I mean, nothing more I can give my kids has, has such, is so packed with nutrients. And it's, it's carbon negative. Wow, I feel awesome. And so I think there, that's a kind of, you know, step one, two, three, that, that I think, look, we'll see. We'll see what consumers react to. But, you know, you want to get out there and start getting them to react. I think that's the approach. Test, test, test and see, I mean, real people that put money on the table, either as customers of, of Pasture Map or as consumers in a shop. I mean, that's the, often what it goes, goes wrong as well. Like people develop things in their silo somewhere and the world needs you idea, but then you get out and nobody cares about what you develop. So yeah. getting that minimum viable and getting into real markets, I think is key. And what would you say like to smart, I would say smart investors, let's say they're all listening to this show. You've made your first steps, actually, your first investments in the space. What would you tell them, obviously, without giving investment advice, all the disclaimers here are true, yeah. to look out for, to look into in terms of regenerative agriculture as you've been going down the rabbit hole so deeply? Uh, it's a good question. The caveat being uh, advising smart investors assumes that we're smart investors. And so uh, the extra disclaimer that we, might, we, may, we may not be and we're just getting started ourselves. So 
I think when you look, ag tech, especially in Silicon Valley, you say, oh, ag tech, we're investing in ag tech. And it's, it's our, the last hundred years of ag tech and the industrialization of agriculture have been about getting more from less, scale, 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 more from less, more chemicals for more produce. And um, I think it has to be the opposite of that. You know, it can't be more from less, you know, obviously we don't want less, but, you know, what our, our current, you know, all the ag tech we're doing now in software for precision agriculture. I just, I, I just think it's, it's the wrong, it's the wrong way. It's just making us worse. And so, what we need to do is ag tech. You know, that the, the, the investments in agriculture need to be on the process and innovation and methodology and logistical side. I mean, this whole ecosystem, if regenerative agriculture is going to succeed, really needs to be rebuilt. We need to go from massively centralized to massively decentralized. And so, you know, how do we change the regulations there to allow that? Um, how do we support many small businesses? How do we build scalable logistics chains that are super decentralized? You know, I think it's just one positive of the you know current you know world health crisis is that we've seen centralized food systems don't work, and so maybe maybe that that'll be an accelerator. And so, look, I would just say that it, things that might not traditionally look like uh, scalable software investments that are very attractive, I think investors need to look at you know. Ha, ha, what what is the investment ecosystem we can do here? Um, and it shouldn't just be more from less, which is the which is what has got us into this problem to begin with. And I mean, this is a question that maybe is very relevant in a couple of years. But what if you be in charge of a one billion dollar investment fund? How would you break that down? And how would you, or maybe not, maybe put everything in one thing? What would you do with that starting today? I, I almost want to say that I wouldn't want that. I mean, I, I'm not convinced that big dollars make big change. I think, you know, we see that in the software world all the time. You know, the more money companies raise is definitely not a predictor of their success. Um, I mean, just look at the innovator's dilemma, right? I mean, yeah, uh, small companies out innovate big companies all the time. And so I'm not, I actually think, you know, constraints are a great, a great, uh, a great uh, driver of innovation. I think, you know, outside of software, farmers are super constrained financially and by everything else. And look at how scrappy and innovative they are and getting their, 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 making their farms work. And so if I had to have a, a, that much money to spend, I think one, you know, you could put a lot of it into just the, how do you finance the transition and the migration? I know you're doing some, some work on this as it is. And so, you know, how do we give, you know, since the government isn't doing it yet, how do you, how do you help farmers move from regenerative or from, from conventional to regenerative? And then look, it, you know, that's a big fund. So I, I draw the stack of what is the ecosystem in agriculture. And then I think within each set, each, each, the, the current, you know, food system from, from farmer to consumer, um, every step along the way is likely to have to change or likely to change. And hopefully, you know, getting the farmer closer to consumer. So outside of quality, the farmer makes more money. I think that, you know, and the consumer doesn't necessarily have to pay more, right? That'd be a nice win-win. And so I think you could look at each part of that ecosystem or that, you know, food system stack or agri-food system stack and there's innovation going to happen in each area and so you know if you had that much money you could maybe have lots of little microphones and uh, and, and, and pour fuel on each area is there something in all of these different stacks like basically from farm to fork to plate at the end something you find most interesting or most exciting at the moment because obviously that could change in six months or two months etc is there something or you recently discovered that you didn't see or know because every i agree every little piece has to change so it's also difficult to choose where to focus on and what to learn because they're so different from slaughtery to sending to shipping to processing to growing. I mean, it's all different industry basically and all very complex. Is there something that caught your eye recently in one of those stacks that, that really excites you? Yeah, I mean, I think processing is a big area. I mean, you know, like centralized processing, it make you know, 
it's 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 semi uneconomical or untenable really for farmers to compete because they can't get access to centralized processing plants, which means they can't get that economy of scale. They have to go to smaller local state state producers who are vastly more expensive. Um, so the meat's just more expensive, full stop, straight away. Nothing to do with you know quality or anything else. Um, and uh, and and it's only sellable within state lines. And so I think you know decentralized processing. So you know many many small plants and mobile processing right on farm you know so animals never have to even get into a uh, into a truck which is you know one good for their quality of life and two the quality of meat is often you know predicted by the stress of an animal so less stress is going to be good from the top of the pyramid bit, bit of taste um and so you know while that's technically possible you want to be able to sell you know across state lines and lots of grocery stores will only take usda inspected and so how and, and I don't know how innovation helps here because technically it's possible, but how do we lobby or get the USDA to change their approach that they'll allow inspections over, over you know, a camera or some other, you know, some other way of doing it that they don't have to have a person in plant, which just makes the barrier to massively decentralized processing too high and too expensive. Yeah, just to give a bit of background in many of these plants, especially the large centralized ones, obviously are closed right now or partly closed because of COVID because they turned it out to be a, a hotbed. And there always needs to be a USDA person on site when you slaughter. But of course, if you have a very small mobile slaughter unit that travels from farm to farm, it just doesn't make any economic sense that there is a person there paid by the slaughterhouse to see every single animal. But still, you need that in terms of getting into the larger contracts and, and they need to be USDA approved. So there's this quadrum basically that makes that technically possible, but practically not feasible yet. But of course, maybe in the current situation, there could be movement because with pressure, everything becomes fluid if it's a big enough of an issue. Well, and of course, if you actually did get, you know, a massively decentralized processing or mobile processing units across the across the states or across the world, but say across the US, um, then the uh, selling across state lines wouldn't really matter because every, you know, every state produces enough meat anyway. So, so by and large, you'd be able to do it that way. So that's one interesting area, I think. And okay, so we're taking away your $1 billion investment fund, which you didn't want in the first place, so that's okay. Yeah. But we give you a magic wand and a magic power to change one thing in, let's say, actually the larger agriculture industry. What would you do? Well, I mean, look, the easy answer is just ban all chemicals. Maybe give a three-year kind of, you know, approach, but ban all chemicals. But I think if I had a magic wand, I'd make all consumers know what Regenerate is right now and understand it. And then I think demand would drive supply. And they will start knocking on the door of anywhere where they buy the current food and start asking questions on soil health, etc. Yeah. And look, the other thing is, I mean, as a consumer, I think if I had a magic wand, you want on both sides, supply and demand, especially on investment side, to focus on quality, not quantity. I mean, I, I said it before, I guess, but we've been 100 years of quantity. Does anyone really believe we have a quantity issue with the amount of food waste? I mean, I just we don't have a quantity issue. We have a quality issue. And I think every study says that we can make enough quality food with regenerative practices that and that would solve so many problems. And so if every side of the stakeholder table from producer, supplier and consumer realized quality mattered, I think, you know, we wouldn't necessarily have to pay a lot more because that scale, I think we can make that work. And that would change the world massively. And we keep coming back to scale. It's also a bit of a, I wouldn't say dirty word, but some people are scared of scale because you get, once we're scaling this regenerative agriculture movement, we lose some of the complexity, et cetera, et cetera. What would you say to that? The people that say we, it shouldn't scale, it should all be small scale, family run farms, on, and, and it should actually all be smaller. I think that that can be scaled. I don't think it has to be big farms. I mean, look at Uber. Uber is a, Uber's a massive company. But they're and it's it's super decentralized. All they are is a or Airbnb or take any of these. They, you know, 
they have a they have a central purchasing platform that connects you or a central platform that connects the consumer to the supplier, right? In which case, you know, sometimes it's me and I want to get a ride to the airport. But why can't we do that for farmers? I mean, why doesn't set like like scale doesn't necessarily mean centralization, especially in the you know current world we live in, where I on my mobile phone I can open up an app and I can order online or order from a farmer or have a you know central store that connects me to local farmers and they deliver the next day. Or I don't know what the solution should be, but but I think I I I absolutely think we should have loads of small farms. I don't think big farms. I think big farms that always have a weird you know a weird kind of diseconomy of scale will kick in at some point. Um and you know, maybe this is my own passion because I, you know, I like my my family are small farmers, and I'd like to be a farmer too. But but I think we can. I'd love to see. You know, I think you know, hundred years ago, farmers were wealthy, and that you know now farmers go bankrupt at at, at you know, a, a scary rate, and so many farmers have off farm jobs. I mean, what a joke! The most important thing for our health and world is that we can eat. I mean, you know, regardless of the quality of food, we have to eat, and the people producing our food are treated so badly and make so little money. I mean, it's ridiculous, and so. Um, I think, yeah, I think we can, we can scale the logistics, which means we can have lots of small suppliers, right? So I do believe that decentralized um, farming can scale and regenerative from scale because you need less inputs. I mean, the wonderful thing about it is you don't need all the chemicals. So you can be a regenerative farmer at any size and hopefully make money because your, you know, your input cost goes way down. Hopefully the quality of your output goes up. Maybe the volume goes up a little bit, and maybe the you know, price you get goes up either because of the quality or because you've removed so many parts of the you know so many middlemen from the chain. So anyway, long answer, but uh, but I think this absolutely can scale, but it can scale you know by millions of suppliers. And I love to ask this question that is definitely inspired by John Kempf. But what do you believe to be true about regenerative agriculture that others don't? Could be the scale one, but could also be a completely different one. Like what do you believe to be true that others in regenerative agriculture don't believe to be true? I feel like it's a, such a leap of overconfidence to say I'm not a regenerative producer myself. We've been in this space for maybe learning it for two or three years and saying that there's something that, I mean, every day you learn something new. So look, if I had to pick something, I'd say it is that business is not evil. Regenerative agriculture, it's great that, you know, there should be a fair price and that, you know, uh, ethics of the of how we treat animals and farmers are there. But but this this it has to be a business right this isn't a philanthropic project regenerative farmers have to make money consumers have to get high quality food that they demand that they're prepared to pay for and so you know i don't know if that's something that people debate or not but if they do then that's my that's my one belief oh they definitely do but is that a reason why you picked being a public benefit company and not a foundation or an basically a nonprofit yeah, I mean, I don't think that's even a question. I mean, like the question was, are we are we a, a company or a public benefit company? Right? A public benefit company is a far profit company that has uh, a mission outside of of just of just creating creating wealth. And so, but a foundation or a, or a philanthropy has you know they give away money. And I mean, giving away money, so it'll help farmers move maybe. But but how is that going to create sustainable long term businesses? If if we can't make money at this, and we think we're not going to scale it. It's as simple as that. If consumers don't want it and love it, they're not going to buy it. And if they do, people more and more farmers are going to move to it. And then new people will get into that. And then other parts of the ecosystem will change. I mean, I think I think trying to make this a kind of altruistic, let's say, you know, you know, don't worry about making money, we'll just make great stuff, will never work. You know, the best way to to I won't say beat, but the best way to force the food system to change outside of consumer demand is by business, right? I mean, like this, ha there should be profit all the way along and farmers should make more money than they have ever before. And so I absolutely think this has to be driven by business. Which I think is a good answer to that question, actually. It's uh, <laughs> something that definitely not, I mean, many would agree listening to this and some probably won't. So I, I think it's a really good answer to the question. And 
I want to thank you for your time. I think we, we covered a lot. I don't think it's the last time we talk because I think there's, as you're so, I wouldn't say fresh in this space, but new, at least to be public about this. I mean, you've just bought Pasture Map, you're revitalizing a lot of things. And from the sound of it, you're going to start one or two companies this year, which I'm very interested in. But whenever that, that is shareable and open, I would love to check in and see, because I'm super interested in the food as medicine or the tasty food side of things and the consumer side of things, because I think there's the key to, it flips the question to, okay, if we, we all start asking for this on a large scale, farmers will change and the whole food system will change. And that's a very interesting insight. So thank you for that. Totally agree. Look forward to chatting again. Thanks very much again for having me on today. If you found the Investing in Regenerative Agriculture and Food podcast valuable, there are a few simple ways you can use to support it. Number one, rate and review the podcast on your podcast app. That's the best way for other listeners to find the podcast, and it only takes a few seconds. Number two, share this podcast on social media or email it to your friends and colleagues. Number three, if this podcast has been of value to you, and if you have the means, please join my Patreon community to help grow this platform and allow me to take it further. You can find all the details on patreon.com slash regenerative agriculture or in the description below. Thank you so much and see you at the next podcast.